Weird week this week, would you say? Yeah. A little different? A little different. I don't, uh, is anyone here like me, just you like routine? You work better in routine? Okay, it was not a routine week this week, my goodness. Um, but those things happen. Before we get started, I just, I, I need to take a deep breath and just, <laughs> let's, let's pray uh, as, as we begin this morning. Father, we thank you so much, Jesus, for, for your love for us, God, for your provision and your protection. And as we began our service this morning, Lord, we just, we just want to again exalt you. We want to praise you, God, for who you are, not because of anything that you do for us, but simply because you deserve our praise, because you are mighty and holy and true. And so we just, right now, before we go any further, God, we just want to say, you're awesome. You're amazing. And we bless you right now, God. And we give you this time, Lord. Be with us, Lord. Help each one of us, including myself, receive what you want to say this morning. God, this is a time where we want to be filled with hope and encouragement, Lord. And, and uh, so we expect that of you, God. And we give you this time, Lord. Give us ears to hear what you want to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. So as we were uh, kind of going through this past week with uh, Hurricane Dorian out in the Atlantic, uh, experiencing all that was, uh, I was, you know, at the house and doing different things and just kind of thinking, how can I make this into a sermon, <laughs> you know? And uh, I, I started kind of coming up with things that I was realizing more about myself, but I think is also a general thing with, uh, with this storm and things that happened within it that I don't know, I kind of I realized. So what I'm, what I'm calling this sermon today is things we learn from the storm or lessons from the storm. Lessons that I learned, and there's five points that I wanna make this morning um, about the lessons that we learn from the storm. But what, what I realized is how they run parallel to the story of Jesus with the disciples in the boat and the storm that they faced. And so we're gonna look in Matthew chapter eight this morning and kind of see how the lessons that I learned uh, how they really run alongside of this story in Matthew chapter eight. Okay, so, so bear with me. In the first, I'm gonna start right off the bat. The first lesson that I learned this week is that people want to be home. We like to be home. I mean, I, th I think it was on Monday or Tuesday, I started texting buddies of mine and, you know, hey, what are you doing? Are you, have you, are you evacuating? Where are you going? And it was, well, we have a hotel here. We've, we made a reservation here. We're planning on going here, but we're gonna kind of see what happens. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna see what happens with the storm and, and with every day and, and, and even with the hours that passes, the storm was kind of stalling and things weren't really moving along the way we thought. Everyone was like, well, you know, I'm, I've, I'm, I'm, you know we're just kind of riding around and we, we're gonna stay home and we've canceled this hotel reservation, but we had this backup one here. But everything was in an effort to stay home, right? We, we like to be home because home is where we can ultimately be ourselves the most. It's where we are comfortable, we can kick our feet up, we can relax, and it's just, we can just be ourselves. Even, even with your closest family members or your closest friends, you go over to their house and though you love them and they love you and it's a relaxing place, it's still not home. We like to be home. We like to be home and, because home, again, it's comfortable. It's what we know. It's where we can be ourselves. But listen to this, what happens in Matthew chapter eight. And this is before Jesus is on the boat with the disciples. This is all leading up, same chapter, same events leading up to that, right? So here we are in Matthew chapter eight, starting in verse 18. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. 
Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Interesting reply there. A teacher of the law comes to him and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Awesome, come on, let's go. He doesn't say that. In essence, what he's saying is, okay, that's great. Are you ready to be homeless? Are you ready to give up the comforts of what you know to follow me? And we have to understand who Jesus is addressing in this conversation. It is a teacher of the law. What do we know of the teachers of the law? We know that they like money. They like power. They like notoriety and fame. They like the best seat at the table. So when this teacher of the law is talking to Jesus in this moment, he's not saying, I'm gonna follow Jesus. He's saying, I'm gonna follow the crowd. So wherever the crowd goes, wherever this thing is happening, that's where I'll go because I wanna be recognized. So he professes this in front of Jesus and all these people. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Look at me, everybody. I'm willing to go wherever he goes because he's really saying it to the crowd. Jesus calls him out on it and says, okay, if you're being serious, listen to what I have to say. It's not gonna be comfortable. It's not gonna be comfortable. Are you ready to really follow me? And so as much as we like to be home because it's comfortable, when the storms come, maybe home isn't the best place to be. We say we wanna follow Jesus, but really we're so comfortable with what we know and where we're at that we profess it, but then we, uh, we just can't leave. We just can't leave what we know. We just can't leave what's comfortable to us and do something different. We can't do it, it's tough. And here, here's what is so interesting about all that. This is the second point. We can only take being home for so long. All right, I don't, is anyone, did anyone here last week get a little bit of cabin fever, a little restlessness? By Wednesday afternoon, when I realized, okay, this, Marsha's got both hands up. She's just praising Jesus. By Wednesday afternoon, we have, the, we have a back door to our, to our uh, backyard and it's got windows on it. And I was literally just pressed against it. Like, Get me out of here! We don't have a lot of natural light in our house. I was just like sucking in the natural light, you know. Get me out of this house! When all the while, I didn't wanna leave. Leading, I think between Monday and Wednesday morning, Jesse and I had changed our mind 5,000 times on how we were gonna evacuate and when we were gonna do it. But it kept coming back to we just wanna be home. But eventually, home causes us dissatisfaction. When we become comfortable for so long, we actually get restless. It's why, you know, we, have, we get bed sores when, you, when, you're, when you're on bed rest for so long. You, you, get, you get so comfortable, but actually it causes dissatisfaction in our life. And so what the devil tries to tell us is, no, 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 no. Don't leave what you know. Don't leave what is comfortable. And it leads us to being unsatisfied. And I want to ask you all a question in here. Some of you in here this morning, are you unsatisfied with where you're at in life? Are you dealing with frustration or dissatisfaction? Because chances are, it's not because you are in an uncomfortable place, it's because you've been in a comfortable place for too long. You see, when Jesus called us to go, when he said to the disciples, go, go into the world, serve the world, say my name, he wasn't just commanding them, he wasn't just telling them to go do something to be bossy, he was giving them the purpose that they needed that would give them satisfaction. And so, we have to ask ourselves as a church, 
Are we just being comfortable on Sunday mornings? Are we just being comfortable Monday through Saturday? And in that, we're actually being more and more dissatisfied? Or are we going? Are we not saying to the crowd, I'll follow you, but we're saying to Jesus, I'll follow you because the crowds aren't always there. But Jesus is always there. He's always there. And if that's who we're trying to follow, then we can go. But we have to understand that it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. We have to leave the house. Let's keep going. Matthew chapter 8, verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. It's pretty harsh. But we need to understand about this, first of all, the context of what uh, is happening here. This guy wasn't saying that there's, his father is dead in his house and he needs to go bury him really quick. Like, give me an hour. He's saying, listen, when my, when my parents are gone, my dad's long gone, he doesn't need my care anymore. After all that has happened and things are more convenient, then I'll go and follow you. What this disciple is saying to Jesus is, like, is, is a long time happening, all right? And Jesus is saying, look, the time is now. The time is now. Don't, if we wait for all our ducks to be in a row and everything to be convenient and all this good stuff, and all, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. That's why, that's why we have Jesus. If we just waited all the time, we, we would be our own savior. It's never going to be convenient. There's always, 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 always going to be an excuse for us to not follow Jesus. Always. What we have to do is get to a place where we say, that doesn't matter, I'm following you. I'm following you. As we keep reading, Matthew um, 20, uh, 23. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Third lesson from the storm. Storms are scary. Storms are scary. I woke up about 3 a.m. Wednesday morning, and must, one of the bands from the storm must have been coming through the beaches because there was a wind that was just whipping super hard. And I woke up, and immediately I thought, we made a mistake. We should have evacuated. We stayed home where it was comfortable. No! And I was like, we got to go get the girls. We got to put them in our bed. We, you know, we got to do some sort of fortress around, you know, whatever. And uh, I mean, it was, it was freaking me out. I was walking around the house, just looking out the windows. And I really did. I thought we made a huge mistake and it's going to be like this for the next, you know, 12 to 15 hours. And uh, it was actually, that was probably the worst part of it that we got was a 3 a.m., 20 minute, 30 minute, like windstorm or whatever. But storms are scary. Storms in our life are scary. And it, so I don't want this morning to, to trivialize anything that you might be walking through, to try and shrink down anything that you might be going through. Because storms are scary. And if you, if you read Matthew's wording here, I think it's pretty telling of this storm that they face. It said that it was a furious storm. I read one commentary that said it was like a demonic uh, storm that was literally trying to attack all the disciples in Jesus because it knew what they were going to do for the kingdom of God. And so really... I, I wonder if there's, if there's in your life right now, if there's storms that feel like they are actually personally attacking you. And if, they, if it feels that way, chances are because that's exactly what is happening. 
you are being attacked by a storm that is from the enemy where he is trying to destroy you because he knows what God can do through you. And it feels like it is furious. It is angry at you. And if you're feeling that way, very well could be happening. It very well could be happening. But listen to this. What does it say after that? uh, It says the, the wave swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Do you know how many other times in the Gospels it mentions Jesus asleep? In all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, zero. There's no other mention of Jesus sleeping. We know that he did, obviously. But we see him going off by himself to pray. We see him praying, the disciples falling asleep. But there's no other mention of Jesus sleeping in the Gospels than right here. Why is that? Well, I think it shows the human nature of Jesus. He's simply tired. He was a human like us. But what I think it really shows is it it paints a picture of a God who is not phased in any way by the attacks of the enemy. He is not phased at all to the point where he can sleep through the storm. I'll never forget Irma a couple years ago, the hurricane that actually did come through pretty hard on us. Both of our girls slept through the entire thing. And it it came through during the middle of the night. This is like the longest night of my life. They're caught. We actually moved them three. We had them on an air mattress at one point, which deflated somehow. I don't know. It was, it was just the weirdest night. They never woke up. And we told them, hey, this, this week, hey, we might go, we might have to evacuate for a hurricane. They're like, woohoo! <laughs> Woo, party! We're going to Nina and Papa's. Treats for days. Why? Because their experience of hurricanes was, was awesome. They slept through the whole thing. They didn't have any fear of it. I was freaking out. But they weren't afraid of it at all. So if we see our God our Savior, Jesus, sleeping through this furious storm with waves coming over the boat to the point where the disciples are saying, we're gonna drown. If he's sleeping through it, does it sound like he's concerned by it? No, no. Jesus is not freaking out over your storm. I'm gonna say that again. Jesus is not freaking out over your storm. As scary as it might look to you, he can sleep through it. He can sleep through it. Why? Because a lot of what we talked about last week, he is the authority. He is, we sang about it this morning. The waves and the winds know his name. And boy, let me tell you, when they hear it, they obey. They obey. So what is the storm in your life? Last week, we, um, we went down to the beach and we prayed. And we named the storm. Well, we didn't name it. The storm was named. We spoke the name of the storm. So I want to encourage you this morning. Like, the, like what we can take from the disciples, because you can look at the disciples in this story and kind of, you know, badmouth them and say, oh my gosh, why were they ever afraid? Jesus was in the boat. I mean, come on. We're the exact same way. They're in this boat. Water is coming. They're, a lot of them are familiar with being in boats. They're fishermen. Remember, let's not forget that. So some of them are very experienced with storms on the water. So if they're to the point where this is scaring them so bad that they think they're going to drown and die, it must have been awfully severe. They weren't sitting there going, guys, calm down. Luke, I know you're a doctor, big deal. We see this all the time. No, they were all freaking out. So this was a huge, huge, huge storm. But what what we need to understand about the disciples in this moment is not what they, is we need to understand what they didn't do. Okay, they didn't take a bunch of buckets or pails and start trying to get the water out of the boat themselves. They didn't say, hey, let's just paddle this way. Or let's, let's get our life preservers, let's just jump out. 
In other words, they weren't looking at themselves or trying to figure out how they were gonna be able to save themselves. In their moment of fear, they went to Jesus immediately. And they woke him up. And they said, we're going to drown. Save us. I get so mad at myself when I've been dealing with something in my life for a few days, a week, or however long, and I stop and go, you know what? I haven't even prayed about this yet. I've been trying to do this all on my own. I've been trying to get the water out of the boat myself. I've been trying to paddle this way, away from the storm the whole time when I've had the Savior in my boat all along. The disciples, in everything that was going on, at least they knew to go to Jesus first. And they woke him up. We need to start praying that same way, where we are gonna shake Jesus and shout at him until he wakes up. We gotta be relentless in our prayer, over and over. Speak to the storm like we did to the beach last week. We said, you know, we said the name Dorian and we spoke it away from here. It was awesome. Are we doing that in the storms in our own life? Are we speaking to disease? Are we speaking to marital problems? Are we speaking to the prodigals, calling them back over and over, understanding that the authority is in the boat with us, unfazed? So as they cry out to Jesus, as they say we're going to drown, this is his response. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Here's what's interesting about Jesus' response here. He's coming out of sleeping. And his response is this. I care more about your faith than I do the storm. I'm not concerned with the storm. I'm concerned with your faith in me. How do we know that? Because he didn't wake up and go, ah! let me speak with the waves real quick and then we'll discuss y'all. Calm down, waves. All right, now that that's calm, let's talk. He didn't do that. He immediately addressed their faith. Think about this. As he's talking to them, as he is saying, oh, you have little faith, the wind and the waves are still crashing on the boat. The rain is driving hard. They're probably going, can we talk about this later? We're about to drown. But his concern isn't the storm. His concern is their faith. And so that's what he addresses first. That's what he addresses first. You have little faith. Why? Why are you so afraid? You just saying I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Why are you so afraid? You just saying it is well with my soul. Why are you so afraid? But Jesus, the storm, the storm, Jesus. You know what he's gonna do? He's gonna wait for you to stop looking at the storm and start looking at him. So many times, all we do is look at the storm. And we give it so much power and so much authority and we forget that Jesus is in the boat right with us. And he's just gonna wait. And then finally, when we turn our eyes to him, he goes, there you are. There you are. Because he's concerned about our faith more than the storm. But this is what he says in that. It says he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. I love that word rebuke there. I looked up some synonyms for that and they're chastise, berate, and this is my favorite one. Take to task. Jesus took to task the storm in that moment. This furious storm from the enemy, he took to task and he spoke to it like that and it stopped and it was calm. So we need to remember 
as our faith grows in Jesus, that he will in his time take to task the storm that you are facing. He will take it to task. And when he speaks to it, it is gonna be calm. But he's gonna be more concerned with your faith in all of it than the storm. He's gonna be more concerned with your faith. That is what it is all about. It's not about the storm. We have to stop looking at the storm. So the storm's calm. And this is the fourth lesson that I learned. Forecasts change. Forecasts change. You notice that over this past, what is it? It felt like uh, three years of Hurricane Dorian. We have all the science, the technology. I mean, a lot of money and research put into tracking these storms. But at the end of the day, they're really only a guess. Think about that for a second. The, the smartest scientists that, that study this stuff, that go into the storm, they really don't know. They're just giving their best estimation of what might happen. But just like that, a wobble can occur or something happens that takes it off a track than they thought. Forecasts change. And so what we have to be very, very, very careful of is to not lean on what we think we know and where the storm is gonna go and simply rely on Jesus, the author and the authority of every storm or anything like that. The author of our faith is who we should be focusing on. The one who, who can control the storms. He knows, he knows the forecast. All we can do is really guess. But we, we waste so much time and energy. We walk in fear, we walk in doubt because we are leaning on how we guess the storm is gonna go. And most of the time, it's not how it goes. It changes all of the time. Here's what's so interesting about this story is everything that happens in Matthew chapter eight leading up to it. We see, if you, if you read this whole chapter, and I encourage you to do so, we see lepers being healed. We see Peter's own mother being healed. We see demons being cast out. It says that, and many were healed. So all these things happen, but there's one specific story that I want to look at, and it's, it's, I'm sure it's very familiar to most of us in here, but it runs counter to the experience that the disciples had in the boat, and I want to look at it and pay attention to it. It's in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Interesting question, right? This guy, no, Jesus, cool. I just thought you would be interested. You know, I thought it was a good story. I told some buddies of mine, they got to laugh. He says, my servant is sick. He goes, oh, you want me to come to your house? Jesus in all of these responses is always testing something. He's after something. You know what he's after? Our faith. He's after our heart. Where are we in all this? And so he asked this centurion, do you want me to come to your house? Is that what you'd like for me to do? All the while having a deeper, you know, meaning behind it. And this is what the centurion says in verse eight. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, which is an amazing statement in and of itself. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. In other words, speak, just like he did to the storm, right? Speak and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, 
with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He's talking about authority here. He has a true understanding of authority. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. There's that word again. Jesus is astounded by his faith. And what's amazing here is, 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 is as Jesus goes, he, he heals him. I'll read it real quickly. Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. We, see, we don't see the centurion take Jesus by the arm and say, will you just come with me so we can see together in case it doesn't happen, in case he's still sick, then you're at least there and you can try again. Can you, can you just come with me or, or can, you, can you let me know where you're at and I'm gonna go home and check and then I'll find you later in, in case it didn't work the first time. No, the centurion took Jesus at his word that what he said was going to happen. Enough to the point where he was able to say, thanks, and he just goes back home. Are we taking Jesus by his word in our own life with the storms that we're facing? Are we taking him by his word that he is for us and that he is not against us? That he has great things for us, that he's never gonna leave us, that he's gonna provide for us, that he is our God. Are we taking him at his word? Because the second that we start doing that, we can leave the comforts of our home. We can look at storms and say, you're not that scary anymore. I thought you were at one time, but not anymore. Because I know that I can take my God at his word. And I know that forecasts change. And though what I look at might seem scary, I know Jesus is looking at it from a different perspective. To the point where he's asleep on the boat, he's that concerned with the storm. He's after our faith. He wants our faith to grow. And I've been, I've been, I feel like already, I don't know how many Sundays it's in, four or five, something like that. And I already feel like I'm preaching the same thing over and over on Sundays. But it's really because I believe that, that God has something for us and we're just not there yet. We're not there yet. We're, we're not taking that necessary step in order to get where we need to go. We wanna leave the comforts of our home. We wanna believe him at his word, but we're a little nervous to get uncomfortable and we see a storm and we're still a little scared. He's saying, you gotta take me at my word. You gotta take me at my word. I am not a God who lies. I am the God of truth to the point where I am truth. He's not lying to us. A couple verses talking on the importance of our faith. Verses that we don't really like to talk a lot about because we want to assume that once we're saved, it's kind of like what Sal was saying during communion, salvation is the beginning, but then it's the sanctification that comes after that. You know, we like to think that salvation is really it, you know, and after we're saved, this is a great moment, it's just, okay, I'm done. But things happen after that. Things happen after that. But this is what it says about those things. 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 6 and 7. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that, the, uh, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined, uh, refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Our faith is worth more than gold. 
And it gets us to a point that when we get through the storm, we're praising God. And who's glorified? He is. He is. And what we're saying over and over here is the more that we glorify God, the more that we exalt him, he will draw the people in. He's gonna draw people in as we glorify him. James 1, 2 through 4, consider it pure joy. (laughs) My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This leads to the fifth point. On, on Wednesday, it was around two or three o'clock, when I was kind of realizing, I think this is as bad as this is going to get. Uh, I was on Twitter tr- following the National Hurricane Center and uh, you know, trying to get updates as often as I could. And I got on there sometime between noon and three. I don't remember exactly. And expecting it to say, hey, you know, it's going to be moving this way. You have a couple more hours, blah, blah, blah. And you know what the National Hurricane Center was tweeting about around that time on Wednesday? It wasn't about Dorian. It was about the other storm that had just been developing, like off the coast of Africa and like the three other, you know, storms going on. It's like, really? You kidding me? Can we just get through one? It's still out there. Like, it's happening. And the fifth point is this. And I, don't, I hope, don't want to burst your bubble, but there's always going to be other storms. There's going to be other storms. And as we read those verses in 1 Peter and James, it says, it does not say trial, if you notice. It's plural. Trials. Trials. Sorry, I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. But there are always going to be other storms. So what do we do with that? Well, when we trust God, when we take him at his word, when we're willing to leave the comforts of our own home and go, those storms that come after that, guess what? Our faith is going to have been increased, as will our perseverance. Otherwise, every storm is going to feel like the biggest storm in the world. But if you've been through a storm, you know how to prepare. You know how to prepare if you've been in a storm. I want to have the band come on back up. And we're going to worship this morning. And we're going to continue to declare we have a God that is not moved in any way, shape, or form by the storms that we face. But in it, he is after our faith. He wants us to grow. But we have a God that delivers us from these storms. And I want to say this morning, he has not created us to walk in fear. He has not created us to walk in fear. When we look at these storms, we need to name them, And we need to take authority over them and pray against them over and over and over again. All while trusting that we serve a God who can speak to the storms and everything goes calm. Are we going to be the disciples in panic or are we going to be the centurion that says, I'm going to take you at your word. Let's stand up this morning and we want to pray for you as we get back into worship. If you're facing a storm, if you've been walking through it and you've been walking in fear, we, we want to pray with you. We want to take ownership over that. 
If you're in a place where you feel dissatisfied, frustrated with your walk, and you're just afraid to take that next step, everything around you looks good. On paper, you should be very happy. The comforts of home are all around you, yet in your heart, you're frustrated. God's telling you to go. And that first step might be to come right up here. But in all of it, we as a church need to understand that as we're all in this boat together, it's not just us. It is not just us. We have Jesus in the boat with us who calms the seas. So let's wake him up. Let's wake him up. As I pray, the pastors and the elders are gonna come up and they're gonna pray for you. If that's you this morning, if you need prayer for anything, anything at all, we wanna pray for you. We wanna continue to pray for those that were affected. You know, this is a time when we could wipe our brows and say, phew, that was close. Or we could take this as an opportunity to serve those that weren't as fortunate as us. There was, a, there was something real quick, I just wanna end this with this. There was something on that list that's being uh, donated to um, the 1122 thrift shop and it was baby formula and baby diapers. And I read that and it broke my heart. It's not just adults that are suffering there, it's little babies that need our help as well, that need food. So I encourage you this week, give in some fashion. Let's, let's be a church that serves and that gives. But this morning again, we wanna pray for you. If any of those things apply to you this morning, let's bow our heads and the pastors and elders can come on up. Jesus, 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 we love you, Lord. And we thank you, God, that you are in the boat with us. And as mighty as the storms might seem, they are nothing compared to your words. They are nothing compared to your authority. Father, forgive us if we've grown comfortable, if we've grown lackadaisical, and then also grown frustrated, maybe even taking it out on you, all while you're saying, you just gotta go. Help us, Lord, to get out of our comfort zone, to speak to the storms, to identify what they are, and to walk in the confidence of our God, to take you at your word as a God who has supreme authority. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.